Excellent, excellent. Well, great to be with you all tonight. So as you have gathered, we're going to look at the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel. And if you want a title for this little message tonight, it's taken from verse 30 in chapter 2. Those who honour me, I will honour. And I suppose a big question is, does God answer prayer? Well, I believe tonight that he does. But sometimes he doesn't always answer it in the way that we might anticipate, or indeed in the time scale that we might like. But what we'll see, I hope, in this story that we've heard is it's written with real intent. The reader is plunged into an encounter with real people who are in a real situation, involved in real relationships, encountering real problems. I think it was Don Francisco that said, we all come from dysfunctional families. It's just that some are more dysfunctional than others. <laughs> now, I don't know about you tonight, but that certainly resonates with me. And some of you will know a little bit about my family. And trust me, there's complexity and dysfunction are plenty there. Now, what I hope to do tonight, we're going to look at this text as it stands, and it is a literary work of art. It has been carefully crafted to convey a message with economy of words pregnant with meaning. Pardon the pun. If we have time, we'll also look at a significant sub-theme. Because this book, the book of Samuel and Kings following on, it's all about powerful men of high status who make things happen when in fact it's all brought about by the obedient, persevering prayer of a woman of low status in the eyes of the world. And thirdly, we'll look at how we might approach difficult situations. And then we'll little look, take a little look at perhaps two stages in answers to prayer. And finally, we'll look a little bit at the Lewis Revival. So, without further ado, Hannah wanted a son, but God wanted a prophet. The whole nation was backslidden. They'd fallen away from God. Eli's sons were sleeping with seducing women at the door of the temple. They were abusing the offering. And yet, in the midst of this situation, we find Hannah, who desperately wants a son. She's barren, and in that culture, there's a stigma about being barren. You might remember in the beginning, God said, be fruitful and multiply. It was a big thing in Jewish culture to have children. And we also notice that the other wife has no problem having children. Now, to us, that's a little odd. I worked for a while in the Middle East, 
My supervisor there, he used, to, he used to leave his phone, a big phone, on the desk. And he would go out, whatever, to have coffee or whatever he would do. And we would see it ring. And it would cost us some amusement that it came up sometimes as wife number one. <laughs> <laughs> and on other occasions as wife number two. And we found that a little amusing because that's not our culture. But you get the idea, there's this tension here. The other wife, she has no trouble conceiving. Year after year, she pops out another child. But for Hannah, that's not the case. She desperately wants a child. However, she doesn't give up. She persists in prayer despite the adversity and despite the stigma, and despite the slightly insensitive nature of her husband, who, as you've heard, says, well, am I not more important to you than ten sons? <coughs> what this story tells us is that it is alignment with God's purposes that is the key to blessing and fruitfulness. It may not happen overnight. In fact, it is unlikely to. But just like the story of the widow and the unjust judge, God will answer prayer if we persevere. But this is going to vary. Your, your situation might not be that you want a child, but you might like to see somebody in your family healed. Or there might be some other situation of complexity in your circumstances. And what I, I want to encourage you tonight, that God is a God who hears and answers prayer. Whatever you've heard anywhere else, disregard that. God hears and answers prayer. I noticed at the back you have these little UCB daily readers. And they're a great little resource. The story Bob Gass tells a story. When he was a lad growing up in Belfast. He came home one day from church. And his mother said to him. His mother's too. She said, what did you learn today, Bob? And Bob replied. He said, well, pastor says that the day of miracles is past. She was like. Oh, she sat Bob down and she said, Bob, I, I want you to know that pastor may be sincere, but he is sincerely wrong. There never has been a day of miracles, but there has always been a God of miracles and he is still alive today. So there's no, there's no one size fits all. We, we can't take this text and force it and say that every woman who is childless is going to have a child. We can't say that. Now in this specific situation, of course, that was the issue. But there's other routes. Do you know, today in the UK, there are some two to two and a half thousand children waiting for adoption. 35,000 enter the care system every year. That's 100 a day, or one every 15 minutes. 
What if God was moving on somebody to adopt a child? There are many ways that God can answer prayer. Obviously in Hannah's situation, she did bring a child. But God knows exactly what is needed and he has promised to supply all of our need according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4.19. Now as Andrew read there, I just want to draw your attention to verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Do you know, sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. It was in that real trial and depths of soul that made Hannah cry out to God and say, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget me, give me a son and I will give him back to you. That hadn't occurred to Hannah before. She didn't give up. She kept on praying. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months, months into years, still no answer. And then she came to this point of anguish. I wonder tonight if some of us might identify with that. Hannah was subject to the same human conditions that we are. All of us are subject to the human condition. We have that tension at times that we want to do good, as Paul wrote, but we're aware at times that there's this evil present within us and we have this tension. And that's why we need a saviour who died for us to forgive us and bring us back into a relationship with him. Now I want to suggest that as much as her desire for a child was legitimate, there was also an element of self-interest. Bless me and bless mine. And I also want to suggest that that was part of the reason for the delay in the answer. There was an element of selfishness in her prayer. Now, it would there would be something wrong if we weren't praying for our nearest and dearest and the circumstances that we face and our work colleagues and our children and so on and so forth. But sometimes I can get a little bit out of kilter where we get so obsessed with our little world that we forget about God's bigger picture. Because God cares about this earth and everything in it. He cares about all the sewage that's being pumped into the sea and all the fish that are dying and the CEOs of the water companies. I heard recently, most of them are on about a million pounds a year and they're pumping sewage into our seas and into our rivers and flowing into our seas. I also heard recently sparrowhawks currently have a life expectancy of about four months 
in parts of this country. And the reason they know that is because technology is developed, but they can tag them and they can track them by satellite. And what they noticed was when these birds strayed into the grouse moors in Scotland and the north of England, where the wealthy elite, the investment bankers, came to grouse shoot, suddenly the birds would disappear. I'll leave you to draw your own conclusions there. But God cares about this earth and everything in it. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth one day. And we're a part of his program. Now the story might have ended there, I want to suggest, and Hannah might have died in a place of barrenness and unfulfillment. And that would have been a sad, unnecessary <coughs> tragedy. But thank God that didn't happen. She came to her senses and she decided to give God that son. Why? Because we have a gracious and loving Heavenly Father who wants the best, who wanted the best for Hannah and the best for us. I believe the Spirit of God that we talked about earlier gently and lovingly spoke to her. The thought came into her mind. If you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. It's at that point that her will came into alignment with God's and she moved from a place of barrenness to a place of fruitfulness. The ducks lined up and so did the planets. The same week she fell pregnant. The season of barrenness was over and now replaced with a season of fruitfulness with great rejoicing and thanksgiving. Right then, uh, before I get to the Lewis Revival, and you'll see the connection in a moment, I said earlier that behind the text there's another, another theme. That a woman of little status in the eyes of the world can make a big difference through prayer. In a book that is essentially about powerful men and kings who make things happen, men like Saul, David, Jonathan and Samuel, the whole enterprise hinges on Hannah's persistent prayer and obedience. She prayed until something happened. Her prayer was a, for a son was answered. But before the answer came, she had an assurance that it would. Now, how many have heard of the Lewis revival? Now, as I was preparing this, I, I just felt, as I preached this a few weeks ago, but in a slightly different direction. And as I was preparing this, I, I just felt drawn to the parallel between Hannah and the two old ladies on Lewis. And uh, there's a very good article on the Baptist Together website. Um, but basically, in 1949, can, some, can you read that just about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Two sisters, Peggy and Christine, 84 and 82, one blind, one bent over with arthritis, were burdened due to the depressed spiritual state in their church. Apparently there was no young people attending the service. They sensed the Lord speaking to them, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. This led them to pray in their cottage a couple of nights a week. And after several weeks of praying like this, Peggy had a vision of her church being crowded with young people and an unknown speaker preaching. She then sent for her minister and told him she sensed the Lord was going to send a revival and that he must get his church leaders to spend every Tuesday and Friday night in prayer. And he respected their judgment and, well, the rest is history. But it took took months of prayer before God did break out in revival. But what I find is fascinating is that God used two old ladies, 84 and 82. Is there anyone here tonight over the age of 84? Don't see any hands raised, so I'll take that that as a yes. So what I want to gently and lovingly challenge us tonight is that we've got more potential gathered here in this room than there was in the Lewis revival. How would it be if two ladies from here got together and prayed? How about if two more got together and prayed? And what they did was outside of the normal church service system, which is great, we all need that. But that is what brought the revival to Lewis. Two old ladies who got together and prayed. It's been said that the only certainties in life are death and taxes. I'm sure you've all heard that before. But I want to suggest that there's at least one more, which is, if you aim at nothing, you will surely hit it. But Hannah didn't aim at nothing. And neither did the two old ladies on Lewis. Now then, we said, how, how, how can we make this real and relevant to us? Because obviously what happened in Hannah, that's a long time ago. That's maybe 3,000 plus years ago. Even what happened in Lewis, that's 1949. But when we're in a difficult situation, it's like, well, God, can you please help me now? And one of the resources... And I've seen a few of these in in Andrew's study, so I'm pretty sure he'll approve of this resource. It's John Goldingay. And he talks about the Psalms. And he says here, More than any other part of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms revealed to us the intimacy possible between God and humanity. And I think we saw that in the story of Hannah. As songs and prayers of praise and lament, 
The Psalms are unsurpassed in their variety, depth and range. They encompass the whole breadth of human emotion. Hatred and love, despair and joy, resentment and gratitude, fear of abandonment and deep trust. They encourage us to be honest and thorough in our dealings with God and they teach us how to praise him, seek him and rest in him. But it's often the case, as we saw with Hannah, and as indeed we saw with the two ladies in Lewis, that they pray, and then God, in their case, God gave them a vision. In Hannah's case, she had an assurance that God would answer her prayer. So often there are two stages, and Golden Gate puts it like this. In the Psalms, or indeed in life, there can be two stages to answers to prayer. Stage one is when God listens to the prayer and makes a commitment to deal with the matter raised. And oftentimes we can have a sense that God has heard our prayer. Stage two is when God acts. But between stages one and two, you have to live in suspense and by faith. And that might take days, might take weeks, it might take months, or as in the case of Hannah, it might take years. However, God will answer prayer. So as I bring this to a close, uh, the take-home message tonight is this. Invite God into your situation, whatever it is. And you might say, well, that's obvious. And I agree. But you know what? When your back's against the wall, sometimes the thing we miss is the thing that's most obvious. It's by inviting God into our situation by believing in prayer and partnering with him because God is able to make the difference that we can't in our own strength, in our own intellect, in our own ability, with our own resources, if we're wealthy, even with our finance. How many have seen the film Chariots of Fire? Remember Eric Liddell? When I run, I feel his pleasure. What a great line. He said, God made me, God made me fast. And before the iconic race, I think it was the American, Schultz, passed him a note that said, the same text that we used for the title, those that honour me, I will honour. It hinges on my attitude just like Hannah, it hinges on my mindset. It hinges on me inviting God into the situation. Because if there's no invitation, there's no resolution. It's those that honour God by inviting him into the situation that see him move. God bless you tonight.
Thank you very much. Back to you, Andrew.